0: Welcome to the House of Jordans podcast, episode 29 on the BenchClear Media Network. Be sure to check out the great BenchClear Media content at BenchClear.us. I'm Brian. You can find me on Instagram at JodenCards and on Twitter at JodenTweets. And I'm here with... Chris. You can find me on
1: Instagram at Chris underscore HOJ. You can find me on Twitter at House of Jordans. You can find us on YouTube at House of Jordans. And I'm here with
2: christina you can find me on instagram and twitter at christina's k-r-i-s-t-i-n-a-s-p-c
1: and of course we want to give a shout out to nick the invisible member aka stiff arm wax you can find him on all social media platforms under that name and you can also see him when we do our last dance recap videos on sunday night of which we have one more coming after the episodes 9 and 10 premiered this sunday night
2: the last one
1: The last one indeed. All right, let's do a quick show preview. First, we're going to talk about the 1986 Michael Jordan Fleer rookie PSA 10. It is the hottest card in the hobby, and we're going to tell you why that is so. Then we're going to talk about contemporary artists taking the fusion of art and cards to the next level. Then we're going to talk about a collector who spent $1 million on cards in the past month. We're going to talk about hoarding, hoarding cards as a collecting strategy. We're going to give a Breakdown of 2019, 20 NBA hoops, the product. We're going to do some mail days, some very fun mail days from all parties involved. And then our final segment is a cautionary tale, a lesson in why it's important to scrutinize carefully eBay comps. Now, before we get into the substance of the show, let's do two quick announcements. Announcement number one.
2: We have reached the 1,000 subscribers in YouTube, Ooh. on YouTube. Um, thank you, everyone, for sub, uh, subscribing on YouTube. It went quicker than we thought, for sure, and we're super excited. Um Was the prize too generous, gentlemen? Did you steal too big a box of mine to give away? Was that what drove everyone to our YouTube? Or was it our content? And do you guys actually love us? Um,
1: (laughs) It was probably the prize. (laughs) It was probably the prize. (laughs) Okay, but we hit 1,000 subscribers on YouTube today, so thank you very much. And that means we must now give away the 2019 Prism Cello box. We It's finally time to give it away. So anybody who has subscribed before we hit 1,000 subs and who commented on one of our videos eligible to win, we're currently compiling the list of entrants. Thank you, Christina. Yes. We will post a list of all entrants on our social media account. So if you qualify for the contest, please make sure to check this post and make sure that your name is included We should include you if our accounting is good, and it is, but it never hurts to double check. We will be announcing a live stream on YouTube very soon where we're going to turn this into an event, and we're going to give the box away. So keep an eye on our social media accounts for the announcement of when that live stream is going to take place. What should we give away for our next subscriber milestone on YouTube?
2: Well, I think we've already decided that the next milestone is 2,500 subscribers, so, if you have an idea, I would love to hear it. Um I do have a box coming in. <laughs> but Might I don't think, that. I don't think it's or it's it should not be, be that. Be that. We'll I see. think it okay. should be something else.
1: We are taking suggestions for what the next giveaway should be. Tell us what you want for free. <laughs> Announcement number two, Christina's Corner. We hope you guys enjoyed last week's episode. It was a Christina's Corner interview with the one and only Tyson Beck, which filled in for the House of podcast last week. Thank you, Christina, for keeping the content flowing for House of welcome. George. Christina's Corner now has three episodes on YouTube, and her latest release is an interview with Card Killer. the The one and only card killer and you do not want to miss it. Christina already has five more interviews done and she's recording two more in the next few days and plenty more after that. They will be rolling out over the coming weeks. So let me just say that the very best is yet to come. One of those interviews is so relevant to modern basketball card collecting. That's all I'm going to say about it. No one has ever done an interview like this and it will be extremely insightful for the hobby. All right. Topic number one, a market snapshot of the 1986 Flare 57 PSA 10, the Michael Jordan rookie card. This is the hottest card in the hobby right now. You will perhaps recall that in late March, two copies of this card sold for just shy of $50,000, and we talked about it because at that point in time, it was an all-time high for the card.
0: Yeah, we well, actually talked about it when it was at 35000 We right? did, We've been Mm -hmm. keeping an eye on this one. (laughs) Now, last week, Heritage Auctions
1: sold a copy of this card for $96,000, which absolutely shattered the prior all-time highs. Do you guys remember when we were guessing how high this card would get during Last Dance Mania? Yes, I remember offering those predictions, guesses as well. Uh, We did sort of... Contemplate the idea that it would get near the six-figure mark, or even eclipse it. We said
2: ninety-seven, ninety-eight thousand because yeah, it was the that. year right. of the Michael Jordan documentary. Yeah. It was
1: not me who said that. Man. It, it was, was Brian. It was
2: Brian. It was Brian. Well, it was a
0: good prediction, Brian. Yeah, but I'm like one thousand off. <laughs>
2: well, you should have bid it up. Don't 1, make the more.
0: perfect the enemy <laughs> of the good, and you did. That's pretty good. Yeah.
1: The PSA ten pop is three hundred and twelve on this card, which at the new valuation puts the market cap at 30 million dollars which is the highest market cap for any basketball card to my knowledge the next highest i'm aware of will be the 2003 exquisite lebron rpa out of 99 in a grade of bgs 9 the last recorded sale of that card was 264 thousand dollars and the bgs 9 pop is 54 which puts the market cap for that card at 14 million dollars there are three other michael jordan fleer rcs in the graded PSA 10 that are live at auction all are live right now there's one with PWCC on eBay that's currently at 80,000 there's one with probstein 123 on eBay currently at 67,000 and there's one with Golden via goldenauctions.com that's currently at 66,000 so I ask you yet again where will these three auctions end
2: I'm going six figures it's going One of them or all three of them Uh at least two of them Get um it. yeah.
0: I'm going to give a slightly different prediction. I'm going to say well it's still th- six figures, but I'm going to say one of these will reach 123,000. <laughs> and and 45 and $45, Dollars, yep.
2: I think that's what I said last. One hundred twenty-three thousand four hundred and fifty dollars was really? one of my guesses for well, now I'm last taking time. Your guess then. You're taking my guess. Okay, <laughs> yep. that's cool.
0: You're just one behind. Oh wow!
1: <laughs> and where will this card ultimately settle at value-wise when everything's done? When it's July and another one runs on PBCC, what's that one going to sell at? You know, and then what's it going to sell at in December? What do you guys think? What's the longer term?
2: Well, I think once it hits a hundred thousand, there's no going back. Like an interesting I think that it will stay at hundred thousand once it hit once it eclipses that once it eclipses that milestone. Yeah, uh, I think that it will it'll stay there. It'll never dip below.
0: I mean, I could see it. I think you know there there aren't a whole lot of these available. So if nobody, if unless like a lot of people start bringing it to market or something like that, then I could see it holding at that level. I I see maybe the bottom floor for this like eighty maybe now. Like, maybe that's going to be the the next low point when would maybe be a good buy. I don't know. Interesting.
1: Well, time will tell. All right. Didn't next you have a guess? T- topic. Uh, no, I don't. I mean, I do know that this card had, has had a previous run up once in 2016 where the card shot all the way up to the low 40s and then it came all the way back down to like 18 to 20,000. And then it came back up again uh, in the beginning I of this think year.
2: That might happen, like Brian said. Like if people see it's going for a hundred thousand or more, and, and they're, they're like, start
1: them to market," like say,
2: I think I need to sell this, yeah. and then it's gonna maybe like taper off. The at 80. forces
1: of supply and demand will matter here quite a uh, bit, for sure. All right, next topic, taking art and cards to another level. Longtime listeners of this show will know that since episode one way back in December of 2018, we have always loved to appreciate the intersection of art and athletics as embodied by cards. Now, there is a new Instagram page that very, very few people know about right now. The bio of the page simply says, quote, rare painted cards merging the space between art, investing, and sports And so, of course, you know that this piqued my interest. The page is called The Underscore Currency Underscore Project. I messaged them and asked them to tell me more about their work, and they simply said, We are a couple of artists trying to bridge contemporary art with card collecting. We are longtime sports fans and card collectors. Now, In my observation, they are truly infusing the techniques of modern art with sports card design in a way that has never been done before, to my knowledge. It's like they've taken what you'd see like a modern art museum, like the Broad or like the Hammer in L.A., and they've applied it to card design, and the results speak for themselves. They have beautiful, mind-bending portrayals of cards. I highly recommend checking them out, even if this style of art isn't necessarily your thing. Seen it applied to sports cards might bring you around to it. Now, what do you think about the merger of art and cards?
2: You're asking me? Yes.
1: It, I think everyone
2: knows what I think we about We all looked this. at some of their
1: work. Yes, the, of course. The viewers on YouTube are going to be able to see some of it. Yes. What, but what's your take on it, having seen it?
2: I think it's interesting. I think um, it's, taking, it's taking cards and... Um, doing that modern art twist of like a remix uh it's taking something that's already iconic and then adding their artistry and their creativity to the card and then it is like it's reimagined into something new creative and Noteworthy.
1: It is. It's made me like modern art more, or postmodern <laughs> art more. It really has. Yeah. Seeing it applied in this context makes me, you know, we're so used to some of the iconic cards that they're like remixing, so to speak. And it makes me appreciate the techniques that go into creating that type of art. What did you think about some of their work when you saw a little preview of it?
0: I mean, I thought it was really cool. I think anytime you have, like, art intersecting with cards, it's just great. And already, like, art does, obviously, with, like, the design of the cards. And then to see an artist put their rendition on it and, like, put a different twist on it. And, like, they all look so, like, different, too. So it's really cool to see the uniqueness between each, you know, card. I think uh, it reminds me a little bit of like what I do with like the animations, where yeah. I kind of take the card and I kind of put a, sp- a spin on it, yeah. like an artistic spin. So I don't know. It's just cool to see other people doing that in the hobby, and you know, I just uh, I like it a lot. I, th- I think it's awesome.
1: It is. It's it's very exciting. Uh, okay, next topic. Brian Gray, who is the CEO of Leaf Cards. Had an interview on the new hobby show called Sports Cards Live. A friend of the show named Jeremy, who can be found on Instagram at jlee underscore cards, has launched a new sports card show called Sports Cards Live. He recently had Brian Brian Gray, the CEO of Leaf Trading Cards, on for a wide ranging two hour discussion. I tuned into the live broadcast just in time to hear Brian talk about how he has been navigating the hobby during COVID-19 and Brian revealed that he has spent $1 million in the last month picking up cards in mass quantity. And one of the cards that he said he's been picking up is the 1986 Topps Jerry Rice rookie card. He strongly believes that iconic Hall of Fame players from the 80s and the 90s are currently undervalued relative to the price of modern prospects and he is definitely putting his money where his mouth is. He said, interestingly, that he announces on Twitter when he is going on a buying binge like the one for the Jerry Rice rookie cards which can result in people buying the cards he's hunting before he has a chance. (laughs) he says to buy out ebay now jeremy made an eight minute clip focusing on just this part of the discussion and it's on the sports card live youtube channel Uh, i've tweeted the link to this as well it's definitely worth listening to what do you guys think brian first about the other brian brian gray spending one million dollars on on bulk purchases of key rookie cards of 80s and 90s hall of famers
0: you know, I think it's a really interesting strategy and I'll be interested to know like how he, he does with it. I think spending a million dollars on cards on any kind of card is just like insane and it's crazy, but it kinda talks to like what this hobby is and what it's coming becoming and what it's kinda turning into. Like there's a lot of people that are taking like serious money and putting it into the hobby and I think that is a result of like what you see with like these crazy prices for a lot of these cards that we're seeing now. And, you know, the whole hobby in general has a lot of energy to it that it didn't have previously. So I don't know, you know, what will happen with these eighties and nineties cards for rookies? Like I hope they grade well and I hope that, you know, he does well with them. And I think these probably right to some degree that a lot of these hall of famers are undervalued. Um, I think, especially if you compare them to, you know, other even nineties players. So, I think it's a, it will be an interesting play. I think,
1: yeah. The, the difference, though, that I always hesitate on a little bit. I see a lot of people applying the logic of Hall of Famers are undervalued relative to prospects, mm-hmm. and even like established players in the league, like a Kevin Durant, is undervalued relative right. to you know prospects. Like Zion or Morant or Luca or Trey Young or Tatum or somebody like that, and like that's true, st- coming strictly from the perspective of sports achievement and pedigree, that's mm-hmm. true. But from the perspective of the hobby, the thing that makes prospects such an interesting value play and that inflates their values is the anticipation, the hope, and the collectability of these particular players on the possibility of what they might become. Right. And that's why remember one of the reasons we called the show The House of Jordans is because Michael Jordan cards are always that benchmark against which other players who, you know, are still carving out their legacy are measured against. Mm-hmm. And so when anytime the Michael Jordan card market is flourishing and doing really well, it inspires optimism in everybody else to think maybe my player can get to that level in the best case scenario, and even if they can't, maybe they can be some fraction of it. And so if you're banking on your prospect or your player becoming a fraction of Michael Jordan's market eventually down the line after it's all said and done, even then when the Michael Jordan card market is, is flourishing and doing well, that market proportionally is probably going to flourish and do well also. So all I would say, I would just hesitate before like completely just discarding the value of prospects as being too high because there's more going on with prospects than simply looking at what they've accomplished there's anticipation hope built in and plus there's that intangible entertainment factor being able to watch the player and live with them and experience their career roller coaster
0: i don't think that can be undervalued or understated like people that are actually able to see their player live and actually you know have a hope for them to like do really well i think that creates a different kind of market in general.
1: It does. And but but, you know, then you go back to the Hall of Famers and you think, well, you know, when people are coming back into the hobby and they want to find their lane and find a place to collect and they're staring down the barrel of Michael Jordan card prices and they're like, This is not the entry point for me. Yeah. That is going to raise interest in stars who relative to Michael Jordan are more peripheral. Right. Shaquille O'Neal, Penny Hardaway. Hakeem Olajuwon, etc., etc. All of a sudden, those guys suddenly have a, a new market created for new entrants who want to come in at more reasonable price points, and Michael Jordan cards just aren't giving reasonable price points right now. Christina?
2: um, I, I think Brian took all my talking points.
1: Fair enough. Alright, next topic. Hoarding habits. In case you did not know, hoarding is an integral part of the hobby. Why have just one copy of a card when you could have half a dozen? Or you could have a dozen, or you could have hundreds in some cases. Collectors are constantly faced with the choice of whether to add another copy of a favorite card or expand and bring in something new, and that can be a very stressful choice. There also is something uniquely interesting and impressive about a horde of cards. For example, hundreds of Giannis prison-based PSA 10s like Odia Sports has achieved as compared against one monster card that is of equivalent value to the hoard. So hoarding is kind of like a different way of status signaling in the hobby. It often requires discipline and long-term commitment to acquire a large stash of copies of the same card. And hoarding also can verge on cornering a market for a particular card. It drastically can cut into the available supply and leave less copies to go around. So let's do a quick highlight of some of my favorite hoarders. I've picked out three. One is Mr. Chow on Instagram. Hoarding is a way of life for this collector. He hoards, in particular, LeBron inserts and parallels from 2019-20 products. He has dozens of the Net Marvels inserts. He has dozens of the high-voltage inserts. He has dozens of the takeoff inserts. He has piles of the Stargazing inserts, the Crunch Time inserts, and many others. Scroll a little bit further down his page, however, and you'll also see some huge grails as well. So check out his page. The second Sounds like one, he's
0: uh, taking a little bit of notes from the 90s there with the interest in the inserts. Indeed. Indeed.
1: The second one is Gold Aries 23 nca on Instagram. This is one of the most impressive hoarders I've ever seen. He has dozens of Zion Prison Base rookies. He has dozens of Jordan Gravity Denied inserts. He has dozens of Kobe Exceptional inserts. He has nine copies of Scoring Kings Plus Michael Jordan cards. He has nine copies of the 2002-2003 Flair Legacy MJ Wizards card, which is numbered to 100. He has nine of them. And just like Mr. Chow, he also has some huge grails as well, if you just scroll down his page a little bit. And then finally, I want to call attention to LeBron Hoarder on Instagram. Uh, Great accurate username he has incredible hordes of lebron rookies he's got dozens of the bowman signature rookie card which is numbered to 1250 he's got dozens of top paper based rookie cards of lebron he has 17 copies of the chrome black refractor rookie card which is numbered to 500 wow he has dozens of tops contemporary collection rookies and just like the other two if you scroll down a little bit lower on his page you will see monster cards as well so it's interesting to note that these three they hoard but they also have grails, so there's a sort of a, a symmetry yeah. to their collecting. They do both. yeah they just can't decide which path to go, so they just do both. <laughs> what do you guys think about hoarding as a
0: way to enjoy collecting cards? I think it's a, a little different than you know obviously just having a grail or just having one card that you want for you know your p c or something. I think you know when you go after like hoarding a card. You just want as many copies because you think like that card is really cool, and maybe you think that at the current price, like it's a good buy. So you decide like, oh, I'll just buy a bunch of them because I think you know at some point I won't be able to get them. So I, I think that people it can be used as a strategy. It's a can Christina, you don't have any hordes laying around, do
2: you? I don't. I I like too many different things to buy multiple of one i, I want to say that's the trade i respect yeah. it um as like that's your version of cl- like your way to collect but i prefer to have a little something of everything within my own player
0: i i would say like now buying cards i always just want to like buy two of them because I want to have one that I can keep, and then one that I can maybe <laughs> sell. And like the problem is, is if like you you pick a good car because you like, oh, I know this car is probably undervalued. But then you keep it, and you want to have it for your PC. Then like it's not actualized in any way. But if you buy two,
2: there you can go. Sell
0: one and keep one. The best of both worlds. <laughs> the Noah's Ark approach. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but that. But then you to have to
2: break up the pair.
1: Is right. just the first step on the pathway to hoarding. That's true. Perhaps. All right. Product breakdown courtesy of Christina. The 2019 right. 20 NBA hoops.
2: Let's talk hoops. 2019 20 hoops basketball. Uh, this is the product with the first NBA rookie cards. So it's always. Uh, a high-end, uh, like a high-coveted product, even though it's considered low-end release. Uh, the initial release date was November sixth, two thousand nineteen, with a SRP of eighty dollars per box of the hobby boxes. The hobby box configuration is eight cards per pack, twenty-four packs per box, twenty boxes per case. The box break average is two autographs and twenty-four inserts or parallels. The inserts include High Voltage, NBA City, uh, the Morant Ready for Takeoff, and the Zion Key to the Kingdom. Those are the magazine cover style rookie specials that I really, really like. And if I collected either of them, I would totally buy them, but I don't. But I still kind of want those cards. But So I'm debating with myself if I should buy either or both of those Um I also enjoy the court side insert, which shows the wide angle of the entire court of the play that they're focusing on. Um, it's in game action. And it's really, uh, I really enjoy this. Uh, I haven't seen it before on cards. And I think it's something that now that they've added it in, I want more of. and. Please don't take it away, Panini. Um, prices. So at release, eBay auctions had a hobby box average on November 10th, four days after sale, or four days after release, average uh it averaged on November 10th for $80.74. There were four sales: 91 dollars 99 $70.37, 81 dollars 82 cents and $78.77 a hobby case on November 23rd sold for $1,325 the last eBay sales that I w- I found today was a hobby box on May 13th for $225 it's a big jump from November to May and then a hobby case sold on March 16th for $2,684.95 So it doubled uh, from November to March. Current prices: David Adams sold out. Steel City Collectibles sold out. eBay: a hobby box uh, average. There are eight boxes currently on on sale on eBay. Uh, The hobby box average is sitting at two hundred forty two dollars and ninety five cents. The hobby case, there was one, and it's from Blowout uh, on eBay, and it's $5,194.95. Did we clarify
1: that there's 20 boxes in a case? Yes, I did say there's
2: 20 boxes in a case. So there are a lot of boxes in the case, but you're still getting a quote-unquote low-end product. Per case for more than I paid for the eighteen nineteen national treasure on release day. Yeah,
1: just just always just bring it back to yeah. that. the yeah. lowest end product. Yeah, by case is cheaper is is more expensive now than the value of the most high end product last year. Well,
2: one of the most. Yeah. yeah, but like,
1: you know, or maybe the most this, iconic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that breakdown, and you'll see s- that breakdown is going to be relevant to our mail day. So, it will be. Now we're entering into the mail day segments, and we all have mail days. Christina and I have some, and Brian has one. And for the logical coherence of the show, Christina, let's do ours first. Now, Christina doesn't know. I have five packages here, I have not opened them, and Christina doesn't know what's inside any of these. So, Christina, just start cutting away and opening these packages, please.
2: All right, let's go.
1: We have our nifty bullpen uh, uh, blade to we open do. these products. Uh, in case there we go. All right, you gotta love mail days. Uh, you know, mail days are fun. The peak of the mail day, honestly, is maybe when it's in transit.
0: You know, and yeah, the anticipation
1: yeah. is at the all-time high.
0: Yeah, I don't know.
2: Well, we have a double. Envelope. I like the
0: walk to the mailbox. That's my best. <laughs> That's when I'm like, oh shit, here we go.
1: Yeah, yeah. and then there's also like a second climax when you open it <coughs> and you see the card. and Is
2: there now? You,
1: you, you feel great yeah. and you lay down afterwards, take a nap. Wow, what do we have here?
2: We have a 1920 Hoops NBA City Hollow artist proof of Luka Doncic.
1: Yes, we this
2: do. is number twenty. Or, I'm sorry, twelve of twenty-five. It's number out of twenty-five. Very nice card. I really enjoy the logo behind him. How it hits the hollow. Um,
1: the logo that is is one of my favorite touches of this card. Uh, I actually have. Uh, I received a mail day prior to these. Here you can show this as well, so I could have one in my hand as well. There's another artist proof parallel to the NBA city. Luca um, from 2019 20 Hoops. Now, let me read to you the backside of this card because the theme of this card is intriguing. And while I read it, uh, let's proceed to opening another package, please. Christina. Now, here's what the backside says Luca Doncic, and it has his name and a big, beautiful Mavs logo. I love when they use the Mavs logo effectively. Yeah, it looks nice. Build as America's first shopping center, Highland Park Village in Dallas, opened in 1931. Arriving in town in 2018, Doncic is a one-stop shop for basketball skills. Fans flocked to the American Airlines Center, buying into the Mavs as the multi-talented star racked up triple doubles and rose to first in his class as rookie of the year. So the nerd, the basketball historian, nerd in me, really enjoys that thematic dimension To this card now. What's the next card you had there? Okay, the next
2: card uh, was the (laughs) NBA City Luka Doncic Hollow.
1: Same card, except not the artist proof. This is just the hollow. Yeah. Like I was saying, I really love the theme to this card. It's very nerdy. It's teaching you. We've been to the American Airlines Center to see the Mavericks play, so like I have a connection to this card. That's really fun and it just teaches you something i love when something teaches you something you know I, now i know a little bit more about the history of basketball in dallas and it's embodied through luka which is a lot of fun
2: oh look at that
1: what do we have here it's in
2: the next another package? nba city luka doncic hello
1: okay so I wasn't we, expecting are, that. Do we have a yeah. hoard building here. Are, I don't know. What's up like with this? Me. Yeah. Is there this hoarding is, afoot? This is, it's really, more than
0: two.
2: this is really why he asked uh, what we thought about hoarding. <laughs> because he wanted to break the news slowly to me that he was starting to hoard.
1: Now, th- there okay, are well, other cards in this right. set, too.
2: This is uh, a card uh, that I.
1: Christina sent me a text one day that was like, Here are four cards that I want. <laughs> and she sends Go. four eBay links. <laughs> and so I said, Well, this is probably a pretty cool one to sell on. What's the card?
2: The card is a eighteen nineteen Maxi Kleba Vanguard from Chronicles. It's a gold.
1: Oh, okay. Ooh. So, so it pairs with the Luca Vanguard. Yes, goal. and
2: it's numbered seven out of ten for Luca's number. Oh, cool!
1: And so Maxi Kleber is one of the side PCs that we have as uh, aficionados yes. of Dallas Mavericks basketball, newly minted. Yes, and Let's just
2: remove that because that a, it hurts me right there.
1: Yeah, it's a very very pretty <laughs> card. Shout out to Maxi Kleber. Uh, all right. He's awesome. He is. Awesome. I really,
2: I really like. He him. had a
1: tremendous performance against Zion Williamson before the NBA season was suspended. He blocked Zion five times. He put on a stellar defensive show. One might, on the level of performance, not personality, relate him to Dennis Rodman hmm. and what Dennis Rodman was to the Bulls. Uh, Maxi Kleber, I think, is to the current Mavericks lineup. And the final package. What do we have inside of the final package? Oh, we need... Okay, so this is a layer of intrigue because... <laughs> like,
2: who are these people that you purchased cards of? Those are just... Dwayne Bacon?
1: Packing tools. Or James freebies. Harden? Whichever way you want to look at it. Okay, skip Marcus those. Get to the Smart- cards.
2: Oh, oh, look at this. Oh.
1: And what's the other one?
2: Right. Oh, another holo. <laughs> so
1: we have another NBA City holo and the base variant... As well, Now, Brian, you've been watching box breaks, mm-hmm. case breaks, in yeah. fact, of 2019-20 NBA hoops. And what can you tell us about the rarity? So first, let me preface this by saying that there are only four variants of the NBA City insert card, and there's 30 players in the set, but there's four variants. There's the base, which we have here uh, on display. There is the hollow parallel, which we have here on display. There is the artist-proof parallel, which we have here on display, and then there is which is out of twenty five. And then there's the gold parallel, which is out of ten. Just those four. There's no one on one, there's nothing else, there's no color. Just base, hollow, artist proof out of twenty five, gold out of ten. Alright, so what did you observe in watching the case and the box breaks?
0: So I watched half of a case break. Okay. Um so I watched ten boxes be broken and what I noticed was the I basically just counted up how many hollows were, uh, uh, I guess, ripped, and it was I think five hollows, and then about twenty six for the base. Um, so if you do the math on that, basically the base comes out to. If you wanted the Luca specifically, or any one player out of that set, it'd be one. It'd be uh, base card per 11.23 boxes. So basically like one per case. And then, if you get lucky, maybe two. And then uh, for the hollow, it would actually be one hollow per three cases. So, oh, wow. So not... Not an easy pull. We, of course, this is a pretty small sample size.
1: It's just uh, half a case break. Right. But making extrapolations from... Those observations, uh, the hollows of this insert are pretty tough, and because it's a thirty-card set, you know it is going to take probably a case, a case worth of variance in order to get any one player right. from the NBA City set. So interesting. Obviously, these cards have piqued our interest. It was actually Brian who brought this card to our attention. Um, we had like kind of been looking at this card for a while, really liked it, but we just. With COVID going on and everything, we were just uneasy. And then the yeah. other day you texted me, you were like, dude, remember these cards? And I was like, yeah, I do. And I want them. Yeah. And the logic of hoarding had infiltrated. And I just wanted a bunch. I just wanted to build a hoard. And it gets tricky because when you start hoarding, you know, it starts driving up the price Yeah. as each auction rolls by. And... You know, so you start off paying a fraction of what you end up paying down the line, but it makes sense that you know as people see these cards starting to get picked off of the market, it creates a sense of FOMO, yep, and it creates um, you know maybe even a new desire or a new interest in the card that didn't exist before they started getting picked off. And so, yeah. if the card is a winner and it does have some intrinsic desirability to it, seeing them get picked off, uh, you know, strategically by a hoarder. Um, and I'm quite sure we're not the only ones hoarding these cards in this set. Yeah. Uh, for example, the LeBron, the Giannis, the Curry, there's lots of really cool cards that pay homage to very important NBA cities, yep. uh, the thematic dimension of this card. Um, it can create a very interesting market dynamic because you start picking these up and it can get costly quickly.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, too, when you are buying a card or if somebody's hoarding a card, like, it puts the card on the map because then people see, like, they look through sales histories and they're like, oh, wow, like, this... I maybe never saw this card before because it's maybe... It doesn't come up all that often, necessarily. Um, But it's interesting. I mean, I've been... I bought a couple of the hollows and then I bought some of the base as well. Um, So... I think you know it's a it's an interesting card, especially depending on where the price point is at it on it now. Um, you know it's a
1: well, uh, I had been picking up the hollows for forty to fifty bucks at first. I tried to buy another one tonight. I put in a maximum bid of one hundred seventy-five dollars and I was outbid. Uh, <laughs> so that's very so frustrating. I yeah. would have put in more. You know I need yeah. a nice pile of these. I want to get in with the hoarding logic here. <laughs> I, I just I want to see what it's all about. And yeah. I think this is a fun card to potentially hoard. But you know the price goes up very quickly. And I, when I was looking at the bidding history, because I wanted to see if there was anything sketchy going on, it, it, there didn't appear to be. In fact, there was four bidders, myself included, who bid over $125 on the hollow. Not the artist proof, but the hollow that ended tonight. Okay, so that will do it for our mail day. But Brian has a mail day that surely tops ours. Brian, what is your mail day, sir?
0: So, my mail day is the 1997 Metal Universe Championship Galaxy Michael Jordan. Um, This card is so the, what she's showing oh, right now. Sorry.
2: There you go. <laughs> I picked up the wrong one. She just gave a I little just, preview of the base. I got yeah. super excited. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she looked over me like, is this the right one? No, that is the right one. <laughs> oh, so some we're Be- some Beckett card information. Though similar in name to the 1997-98 Metal Universe set, Metal Universe Championship is actually a completely different product from the same manufacturer. There are 100 base cards in the Metal Championship set and 98 card all player card minus checklist. Pressure, precious Metal Gems Parallels, in which the card is each numbered to 50. So, Christina, if you show the other card that I have here, this is the base version of that, and then the numbered to 50 would be this card with the current modern, uh, what would you say, Silver Scope would be the proper way? Scope, I guess, scope. Yeah. Um so that card is obviously a really cool card. It's, I don't know. What's the value on one of those? Like A lot. A lot <laughs> at this too point. Much. Too much. One hasn't even sold, to be able to tell, um, recently. So five inserts in this set can be found. All Millennium Team, Championship Galaxy, Future Champions, Hardware, and Trophy Case. Key rookies are Tim Duncan and Tracy McGrady. Um, the debut set was issued in eight-card packs, which... Carried a suggested retail price of two dollars and sixty-nine cents. Um, a little information on the PSA pop for this card: for PSA ten, there's nineteen; for PSA nine, there's thirteen; PSA eight, five; uh, there's a PSA seven, there's one, and then for six, there's two. So a total of forty cards. Very low pop. Very low
1: pop. Total graded by PSA forty of this beautiful card. This yeah, card is wanna, gorgeous.
0: Uh, yeah, can you talk about it a little bit? Christina?
2: Yes, I would love to. Thank you for asking me, Brian. Um, this card is really cool. It's Championship Galaxy, like you said, and it says Championship Galaxy uh, in the center top, and it's uh, like this teal-turquoise color, and then Jordan, comma, Michael, which is interesting.
1: I think that's the only card that does that. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's kind of like it's... Um, like roll calling mm-hmm. mm. because like i feel like that's how teachers usually do it like when they're you're in school they're like jordan michael like right. yeah. yeah um rodman dennis um but <laughs> i really enjoy this because the galaxy behind him like you can see he's in space or he's like gearing up to go into space the ball itself is kind of interesting um there are different lines on the ball. I don't know if you There you go. Um it's not the normal like s- seams. Yeah, mm. seams of the ball. There are like extra seams. So that drew my attention right away because it was unique. Um but around the Jordan uh pose, like the picture of Michael Jordan and the defender who It looks like Wilkinson. I'm not sure. Um, I made that up, but, um, (laughs) I see W I L. Um, Beyond him is the outer space galaxy, which is really cool. It ties in the whole theme of the card. And then surrounding it looks like he's almost—you're looking at him through a window of a spaceship. Um, you see the silver around, uh, like silver framing of a window, and then you see the soldering bolts, uh, which would keep like the spaceship intact yep. for not MJ, takeoff. <laughs> no they're not um jordan has his arm reached up he's going for a layup uh he has a very aggressive defender elbowing him putting his forearm into his hips uh and like low abdomen and then on the back to tie it into the last dance because that's what we do now it says uh that Jordan's mental toughness makes the bulls difficult to beat. And we know from Last Dance uh, that mental toughness is everything.
1: Yes, it is. It's so fun to go back and revisit these inserts in light of the Last Dance and yeah. see the different dimensions of who he is that they were documenting contemporaneously that now we are seeing and reliving through the documentary. And I just
2: want to add one more thing about this uh, is that the Metal Universe logo which we all love and adore, is in the same teal down at the bottom in the center. Um, So your eye is drawn from the ball in the top left-hand corner down Jordan's arm. um, And then to him, he's wearing his black jersey with the Bulls 23 in red. And uh, you see him fighting a defender, and his fingers are like spread out pointing directly down to the logo so your eye moves from the top left to the information about him and the card itself down his body uh to the logo of the card which
1: is always cool compliments to the designers and to christina for her art house review brian uh before you briefly break down the market for this card what did you pay for this card and when did you pay it
0: so I bought this card in April, on April eighteenth, and I bought this card for two thousand and forty eight dollars and twenty three cents. Of course, um,
1: and it came from Japan. It did come from right? Japan. Okay, so that that's always a little anxiety ridden, waiting for it to land.
0: It is because you know you're like, oh, it's international, and you know, especially with at that time, you know, still like the Corona stuff was going on, so I was you know just a little worried. Was.
2: Yeah. Like, it's like, it's over now? Yeah. <laughs>
0: right? But we're a little more used to it, I we're guess. We're used to it now, yeah. And so this is a, a,
1: a clearly very valuable card mm-hmm. to command $2,000 on the open market as a raw copy. yeah. But that price, of course, makes a bit of sense when you contextualize it in the market.
0: It does. And I think when you look at the PSA 10 value, um, and I'm going to... Use as well as some recent sales, because the PSA 10, the most recent sale of that card actually was July 24th in 2019, and it's That's like sold. a year ago. Yeah. 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 The pop
1: is only 19 on PSA 10.
0: Yeah, it's insanely low. Um, you know, it, that sold for $1,925. Okay. So about 2000 right? Yeah. Um, and then November 23rd, 2019, one sold for 2000 And then January 25th, of 2020, a BGS 9.5 sold for 2500 Now, this okay. was obviously pre uh, documentary. And pre- yeah, January release. 25th is even pre announcement of documentary. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so, well, pre
2: announcement of new release date. Release right. date of the documentary. Yeah. Right.
0: And so, some subsequent sales after that have been this copy that I've purchased, and then also another copy sold five days later that was a PSA 8. But that Commanded a price of a thousand and ten dollars. Now, if you look at the sale closely, you'll see that the actual surface of that card has kind of sticking issues. So you can see that the uh, it's it's removed, like it was put on another card. So you know we've we've opened up like uh, scoring keens, for example, mm-hmm. and you Cards know you have issues together. with the stick, and then you get white dots that are on the surface. So the surface was. In pretty rough shape. Yeah. Um, and collectors still are commanded. very
1: discerning when it comes to things like that,
0: right? I, honestly, I was surprised it was even graded a PSA eight, yeah. but um, you mind. know, yeah. still commanded a good price. Um, yeah, e- even but, in but that condition. You and I, and I'm sure you were happy when the card came in hand.
1: We're expecting a, a solid grade, as were the other bidders on this raw copy. Yeah. And the card in hand suggests that it will grade very well. At that least gorgeous. Went, yeah, probably gem. It looks. Fantastic!
0: It's been clearly very well
1: preserved. Yeah,
0: interesting. yeah, it's a clean copy of the card, and you know, even further back on history, of this card. Um, previously, the the peak for the PSA ten sale was twenty two fifty, and that was in uh, late twenty seventeen, um, which is interesting. So the card has kind of seen an interesting traje- trajectory. Um, it hasn't necessarily. Um, Followed the same trajectory, obviously, as other cards that have sold currently. Um, so what do you think about a price for like a current PSA 10, if it went up for auction? What do you think that would sell for?
1: Well, we were talking about this a little bit before the show. You, you told me there was two PSA 10s on eBay, 7,500 OBO. Yep. Um, I, I think if one ran through PWCC, it would get close to that. Uh, but if you want to go through an independent seller and assume all the risk and the hazards that are associated with the transaction like that, then you're probably looking at a price range of $4,000 to $5,000. In my opinion, that's a gut prediction. I'm not correlating that to any other values of any other comparable insert cards. I'm just kind of going off my gut here. And if a raw in good condition is selling for around $2,000, you can probably double or maybe 2.5x that for the PSA 10, which is obviously very low pop.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I would agree probably somewhere around there yeah
1: well congratulations that yeah. card is definitely highly sought after i know plenty of michael jordan collectors who consider it a centerpiece of their insert collections
0: yeah i know on that point like this card i've been after for a long time yeah have- um there's been a few copies that i wish i would have bought now and that kind of maybe goes to show like if you really want a card you should just get it because you can get it for a way cheaper price. And the reason I even picked it up now is because I wanted to at least be able to get one while I could still afford one somewhat. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm glad I picked up this copy, but there is other copies I passed up for a 1000 bucks when I could have just had it. But that's the price you pay when you kind of play the waiting game and you don't <laughs> take that sure. step out and, you know, take the risk of purchasing something.
2: I also want to point out before we move on from L days that I had a few baseball mail days recently so those are on instagram if anyone would like to go see my baseball mail days you should go check including the some custom one-of-one one card killer Ooh. baseball cards
1: and some tops project 2020 cards yes. including from the very first guest ever on christina's quarter blake jameson all right final segment and this one is important caution a lesson in why it is invaluable to you as a buyer to scrutinize eBay comps. And the case study today is going to focus on 2012 Prism Basketball. This is one of the most hyped and celebrated sets right now. We love this set. We did an episode a month or two ago called uh, Chase the Base." that compared a card from 2012 PRISM, the 2012 PRISM Steph Curry gold, and its price trajectory over time against Curry's top's rookie card in a grade of PSA 10. And we did that to underscore that rarity and scarcity from iconic sets over the long run tends to trump valuations of high population but iconic rookie cards, although it doesn't always work that way. But we use that as a case study. So in other words, you know, we respect, we like, we enjoy 2012 PRISM. It's clearly an iconic product. It had an incredible rookie class, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, Damian Lillard, etc. The first Prism card of hobby legends like LeBron and Kobe and Steph Curry are all contained in the set. This is a very important set. It's a landmark that Panini, um, in the Panini era, uh, this, this first issue of one of Panini's most prestigious brands, Prism. But speaking of those legends, let's take a look it eBay sold and completed for the 2012 Curry Prism Silver PSA 10. Now you will see that one sold via buy it now for $1500 on March 11th. The next copy sold on April 19th, it was an auction, it ended at $3600, but then it was relisted and it sold again at auction 5 days later for $3200. But then it got relisted again and it sold at auction for $3,000. And if you look at the bid history, it's the same user who has a feedback score of 68 who won the $3,600 auction and the $3,000 auction. So clearly they, they didn't pay the first time around, but they came back for more anyway. Now, I know the seller of this card, and he did nothing wrong. He was just running an auction of a card. That's it. It's the non-paying bidders that you have to be careful of, especially when you're running your own auctions on eBay. Now, auction houses can impose harsher penalties on non-paying bidders. They can ban you from their auctions. They can seek legal recourse to enforce the binding contract that you entered by bidding on a card. They can implement a contractual term that allows them to charge you a fee for forcing them to relist the card, which is, in fact, exactly what Heritage Auctions Fine Print says, for example. But the key point here is that the auction house must want to impose these sanctions in order to preserve the prestige and credibility of their brand. So that's the first cautionary tale. Now the second one is even a little more egregious. Let's look at a PSA 10 copy of the 2012 Prism LeBron base card. Perhaps the most iconic card from this set, but nonetheless still susceptible to eBay shenanigans. It has been relisted on eBay, the same PSA 10 copy for months. So if you go to Probstein123's eBay store, and then you take a look at the sold and completed, and you search within his store, sold and completed for the 2012 LeBron Prison PSA 10, keep your eyes peeled for the PSA 10 copy that ends in the serial 863. This card first sold on all the way back on February 25th for $350. It was relisted and sold on March 9th for $500. It was relisted again and sold on April 8th for $1,300. And then it was relisted and sold again last week on May 6th for $1,650. And in the three most recent relists of that card in May, April, and March, the highest bid or one of the highest bids, was made by a private account, meaning that you cannot see that bidder's feedback score. Now, think back to the curry for a second. Relisted auctions push the price down. That is what we expect to happen when auctions relist. If someone got overzealous and paid too much, then they drop out of contention, and the price the next time around gets set by the second and the third highest bidders the next time around. At least that's how it would seem to be. But here, instead, we see the price going up month after month, relist after relist. And, of course, the card and the set were, in fact, gaining in popularity during this time. And maybe that is overcoming the downward pressure that relisting creates. But then someone should have actually ended up paying for this card during one of these relists. But they didn't. Instead, the card continues to rel- be relisted for months on end, each time selling for a higher in a higher price. Now, I actually know the consigner of this card as well. He just wants to sell the card. He wanted to sell it the first time. He's just waiting for somebody to just finally pay. And can you imagine the frustration of being a consigner and having to wait month after month for your card to just keep getting relisted and it doesn't sell each time? Now, the reality here is that most people do not scrutinize comps this closely. How could you? Who has the time? If only there was a service that tracked market prices based on eBay sales and scrutinized it closely. Wouldn't that be nice? Eventually, these comps can come to set the market value, even though none of them are being paid. That's a kind of a scary thought. And this is why it is imperative that eBay, at a bare minimum, I am imploring, I'm begging eBay, start indicating whether cards are paid or not. This could be easily coded into their search results. Once the item is paid, you just put a little badge next to the card that says paid Done, simple. But until eBay does this, and I wouldn't hold your breath, it's up to us to keep an eye out for realists. Be careful, do your homework, or else you might end up paying a market price based on your belief that somebody else already paid that price when in fact, no one did.
2: No one did.
1: So, sorry to end on a sour note, but uh, you know, you gotta be aware that stuff like this is happening. And the more careful research you do and the more diligent you are, the less likely it is that you can be sucked into these shenanigans.
0: Yeah. And also how, I mean, it's, it's a shame that, you know, he wants to get rid of the card. Let's just take the LeBron for instance. It keeps going up though, too, in price. And like, at what point is somebody going to pay it? <laughs> and then what price is that going to be even? Right. Like, now, know, I'm aware going up
1: along the trajectory of those realists those cards had been selling in private transactions at increasingly high values. It's so like when the card got relisted after um, it had sold for, in April, it sold for $1,300. Around that time, I'm aware of private transactions that were consummated that were selling this card in money changed hands at $1,000 for the card. So like there are deals being consummated. The market value of this card, at least with respect to certain transactions, was going up, but this particular card just kept getting relisted and relisted and relisted. And, yeah, I mean, the seller probably isn't too upset, the consigner isn't (laughs) too upset that, hey, each time he gets relisted, it, like, doubles in value. Uh, Not quite, but it it keeps going up in value. But at a certain point, you just want your money. You want to take the money out of that card and put it somewhere else. Uh, Obviously, that's why you're selling it. So that will do it for House of Jordans episode 29. Thank you for tuning in. We will see you all next week for episode 30
2: uh house of jordans is hitting the big three oh
0: we're turning 30
2: 30 flirty and thriving
0: hey 30
1: is the new 14
2: 30 going on or 13 going on 30 there
1: you go (laughs) 30 for 30 uh episode coming up here
2: we should do for the 30th episode a 30 for 30 about house of jordans (laughs) like about us and how we came to be
1: i'm sure that would have a massive audience (laughs) everybody's so interested in us they can't wait to, to skip the behind the scenes on the house of jordans podcast all right
2: well, you ended on such like a sour note. Like, I feel like that should have been earlier in the episode, so we could have bounced back from it. There's we no bounce back.
0: thirty for thirty. I think we end on the thirty for thirty, All right. or whatever you said at the end of the thirty for
2: thirty. No, like thirty for. I mean, like, like Christina say th- say general.
1: end us authoritatively with thirty for thirty. See you next week for thirty for thirty.
2: See you next week for thirty on th- wait 30 for
1: 30 30- <laughs> <laughs> just a one preposition not on not to not for oh no it is four. 30 for
2: 3430 Thirty four, thirty. okay all right i'll remember that now cuz it's all numbers 3430